What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Uh, we're here off uh, coming off the COVID break. Unfortunately, kind of finished the week one and one. We're going to talk a little bit about Georgia Tech, talk some about Miami and the implications going forward. Then we'll preview Wake. I'm your host, Josh Smith. And again, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Shu and Raul. We also have John Watson with us today from the Devil's Den um, I, I guess we'll start with the good with Georgia Tech. Uh, I was at the game. It was a pretty good environment. Some some empty seats in the house, but there in the second half, it was kind of cool. To, the crazies kind of little vintage there. There were students. I was a little surprised to see it that full down there. Um, but I guess, Shu, I'll start with you first. What did you kind of see from the Georgia Tech game? Uh, what stood out for you? A little rusty, but what were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, like you said, Coming off of that break, we knew that it was going to be uh, a little tough on us. Um, the free throws obviously stood out. You know, we we didn't shoot the shoot the ball that well from the free throw line, um, and then just not being able to to kind of put that game away. Like we went up, what was it, thirteen at the half? Everything was looking good. Um, you know, I thought we were going to just come out and kind of steamroll through the second half and. For whatever reason, you know, credit to Georgia Tech, they fought. Um, you know, I just uh, would have liked to seen us kind of finish that one out a little bit tougher than we did. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about Wendell a little bit more in depth, but starts the game 0 for 8, never got comfortable. Um, you know, I think the big talking point is is DeVoe. But before we get there, I guess I'll go to you, Raul. Uh, any kind of major takeaways or anything that stood out? on the positive side for Duke or, you know, on the negative side? On the positive side, I thought it was kind of a, like a workman-like performance. We obviously didn't have it going on offense. You know, we were missing free throws, missing threes, missing layups, just kind of everywhere, right? There was a bunch of uh, opportunities we had at the rim where I thought Georgia Tech really contested well, but we also just kind of failed to finish. And I attribute that to the rust. But on the other hand, we did the things we needed to win uh, so we played solid defense, and part of that was uh, defensive rebounding, too. We had like a 77% defensive rebounding um, and 36% offensive. So we were uh, better on the glass than we usually are. Uh, you know, and then we just uh, held them to, what, uh, 57 points, I believe. So overall, I thought it was a solid performance that was just kind of marred a little bit by free throw shooting and a few missed layups. Had we hit our free throws at our regular rate, you know, had Paolo hit his normal rate, right? It would, he would have been 13 of 16 instead of 9 of 16. That's four points right there. Uh, we make a couple more layups. We cover the spread. And everybody's feeling good about that game going into Miami. But we just, you know, weren't quite capitalizing on all our, all our opportunities. Yeah, and I think we saw some trends that started in the Georgia Tech game that carried over. We mentioned Wendell. Um, on the positive side, I think we saw Mark had two really good games this week. Um, his minutes were pretty consistent. And I guess, John, I'll pass this to you as we kind of use it as a segue. One thing we saw this week that is kind of typical for Duke but is not the best sign is the dwindling of the depth. Um, saw it against Georgia Tech, saw it again against Miami Theo and Baker at this point all seem to be, but basically cut in theory, a few first half minutes, I guess, John, you want to talk about the depth at all, or just what you're seeing in terms of the bench? Yeah, I think it just goes back to what we've seen for the last, you know, however many decades. I mean, Krzyzewski's going to play a shorter bench. He's going to play his best players. 
Um, this year's team has six frontline players. Um, um, frontline, not meaning front court, but more of you know top end options. Um, you know, I think Theo John will start getting some more minutes here and there, but not if Mark Williams continues to get a bunch of minutes. Um, and that's going to be an interesting dynamic because I think as we saw against Miami, um, Paolo and Mark together may not be the best pairing on offense, um, which is going to create some interesting dynamics going forward. But, you know, as far as, as far as the bench goes, I mean, AJ Griffin's starting to play more than half a game. Um, you know, Mark's going to play a little bit more than half a game and then the rest of the players are going to play the mid thirties, like we talked about in the preseason. So, um, I guess the real question is, you know, who else do they really have? I mean, you, you see our message boards talking about, well, Bates Jones could get minutes. And he didn't get a lot of minutes for Davidson, um, you know, for a reason. He's a good player. He's a good shooter, but he's not a high major uh, guy. Um, you know, Jalen Blakes, I don't think he's ready offensively. Um, you know, defensively, is he going to come in and, and steal some minutes? Probably, probably during this month in February. Baker is what he is. Um, you know, you saw him in, again in Miami um, at the end of the first half. Duke's up four. Shashevsky subs in Baker uh, for a defensive possession of all things. And two seconds later, Miami's tied the game going into halftime. Um, you know, it's this is what the team is. Um, you can win with six, seven players. I mean, Gonzaga's done it. Baylor's done it. Um, but they've all got to be locked in, know their roles, and you're going to have to roll with those guys. So um, I think that's what Shashevsky's kind of saying, as we'll talk about, uh, you know, in, in the post games. But when he's saying they're tired and they're, you know, they're not fit yet, well, that's because that rotation is what that is. So, yeah, uh, pairing down the rotation uh, from what we saw earlier on is is not a surprise, um, and it's kind of what we expected for the season. Yeah, and I think it's easy to say like to put the COVID thing in there, but then when we look historically at Duke teams, this is kind of just par for the course. So it's hard to really tell if like there's been if COVID impacted the rotation or it's just our typical January ACC rotation. Um, I guess that leads us into the bad here against Miami. You know, for me, it's kind of just the same old story, um, uncharacteristic in regarding the turnovers, but just the the droughts, um, the long kind of periods where we just lose focus, especially, you know, Wendell again was not really great. It was kind of like a flashback of, you know, sophomore freshman Wendell, and he had been terrific uh, the first half of the season. Um for me, and then I'll pass this on, I thought the defense really kind of let us down. I held them to thir- 32 in the first. I think they scored 16 in the first seven minutes and then only scored 16 the rest of the way. Um, I think they had 44 in the second, though. It just just backdoored to death. Um, you know, and before I get into the coaching point, I guess I'll pass this on, you know, to uh, that I missed or that you thought stood out in regards to to Miami. Well, I mean, I felt like you hit it on the defense was was nice. It was just some key opportune possessions where you close out that defensive possession with a with a rebound, right? And there were a lot of second chance points that they got that either I, I don't know if it was Mark or Paulo. It was a lot of times that we would block their shot, but not able to corral the the ball, and they would just get it, put it right back in. So I think they had what fifty two points in the paint, and I think. Coach K kind of hinted at it in the presser that, you know, a lot of that was 
obviously from the turnovers, you know, just getting easy runouts. Um, but a lot of it's also those second chance points um, where we just didn't end a defensive position with a rebound um, for whatever reason. And although we did rebound over overall well, um, just some some key opportune misses there. Yeah, and it wasn't the way that I would have thought that we would have lost to Miami. I'm not super surprised that we did lose, but I would have thought that it would have been more like a 90 to 80 something loss where we just really couldn't control, like couldn't stop them. They're just hitting whatever. They shoot four for 16 from three. Um, and they ended up actually holding us down. You know, this is like a sub 200 defense on Ken Palm, and it's holding us to, we're struggling to hit 70 at home. Um, but, you know, Raul, you made some good points about the overplay. And I, I heard Kay talk about that in the presser, how we actually were, I guess he said that we were attempting to try to dial that back. It didn't look like it too much, but we were trying to dial that back, but we're still getting beat back door. What, what are you seeing on that end to, to kind of look forward to? I mean, I've been a critic of that for years. I don't think we're seeing the same positive results from it that we did in the early 2000s. You know, at that point, we were just forcing a ton of turnovers. So what you lost on a few backdoor cuts, uh, getting burned off the dribble a little bit, um, having poor defensive rebounding because you're not in position at the rim, all those little sacrifices were offset by, you know, generating 17, 20 turnovers, getting a bunch of runouts, getting easy points. Um, and uh, over the last decade or more we just haven't really ranked in the top half of the nation in terms of forcing turnovers so if you're not forcing turnovers off your overplay what are you gaining I think if anything you're putting certain players that may not have physical advantages in tough positions like people like Roach Roach is small he's not the quickest and so kind of forcing him into that uh really aggressive defense is leading to things like backdoor cuts or the layup that he gives up at the end of the game. Right. Um, and it's also not taking advantage of somebody like Mark, who, if you keep him closer to the rim, you can maximize his defensive strengths. We saw him out there on the perimeter guarding Wardenberg and Wardenberg's just making the same backdoor cut pass over and over again. He ends up with five assists. I think all of them are off backdoor cuts, mm -hmm. right? So that's Mark being dragged out too far given Wardenberg's skill set. And it's our guards being too much in the passing lanes and overplaying those and then leaving that backdoor cut open. So I'd like to see us go to something a little bit more conservative. I'm not saying zone. It would be nice to have that as an option. But there's a middle ground in between this aggressive overplay and zone, in my opinion. Mm. Well, we, we played zone one possession. Yep. And, <laughs> and gave Charlie up Moore real hit quick. like a 25-footer, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, and, you back know. Back to man, to man And just like we've seen in the other loss, Ohio State, and something that we've talked about a lot, um, and John, I'll get you to weigh in on this too, is just the backcourt overall. Um not good again uh, last night. Not, and that's kind of putting it nicely. And I think, John, you you said at one time of Kills isn't really a shooter. He's more of kind of a shot taker who can get hot. Um, and that seems to be the perfect description for me, especially I, I kind of thought that he would be a shooter. You know, he's shooting 30% from three. Um, lowest on the team 
but the most attempts, that's not really kind of what you want. Um, John, is there anything, what can Kay or Duke do? This is kind of, you know, we have who we have. Um, what are you seeing in terms of, is it lineup adjustments, minute adjustments? How do we kind of get this back on track? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some context is important here. You know, we talk about Georgia Tech and Miami. They went into the Georgia Tech game having done a walkthrough after being off for two weeks, no no individual work, not touching a basketball for about eight to nine days. Um, you know, and then you go play an ACC opponent, that's tough. Uh, Larinaga put on a coaching clinic last night. Um, and, you know, it, it was it, he was by far the superior coach last night. Um, to answer your question, um, you know, one thing I've, I'm noticing, and I see it a lot, you guys make really good points about Mark Williams. Um, I, I put this on Twitter. You know, he's literally the best shot blocker in the ACC, if not college basketball, great rim protector. All the teams we've seen since the Ohio State game, they drive right at him. And, yes, he does get blocks, but he's going to attack and pursue anybody who comes in that lane. So all they have to do is throw the ball up off the glass and if the other four players on Duke are not going to, you know, weak side rebound and crash the glass, instead they're sitting out near the perimeter, you know, that's why we're giving up so many offensive rebounds. That's why there's you're getting, if not out-rebounded, closely rebounded by much smaller, less athletic teams. Um, I think that's got to change. Um, there was a really good tweet. I forget who did it today. Um, talking about Ben Chero and what they've seen and how he just looks bored for extended periods of time uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, and then all of a sudden he engages for three to five minutes and just, it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the number one pick. I think a lot of that is because I don't know what position he plays for Duke right now. Um, you know, when he plays beside Mark Williams, they're literally putting him outside. Um, we saw this against Virginia tech when Mark went out and Paolo went to the five, AJ went to the four. Banchero just ignited, and it was very, very tough for teams to deal with him because he's a matchup nightmare when he's playing inside. When he's a six foot ten, two hundred and sixty pound, three point shooter trying to, you know, basically be Kevin Love, that's not effective in the college game because he's not the shooter Love is. He's not the passer Love is. Um, so I think that's got to be addressed. To answer your question about the backcourt, you know. I, Roach, as you said, he's going to be a he's a good college point guard. He's not Tyus Jones. He's not Trey Jones. Um, he's certainly not Trayvon Duvall when it comes to you know athleticism. Um, they need to figure out why they're asking him to pick up, especially on the last possession, the most critical possession against Miami. Why are we why are we picking up overplay, high pressure man to man, forty feet from the basket when you're up three? I I, I didn't understand that at all. Um, so they need to figure out how to play to his strengths. And then with Keels, yeah, he's he's a he's a shooter. He's a gunner. He's not a sniper. Um, you know, you talk about his, his three-point percentage. You know, one thing I'd tell you to look at is look at when he's taking his threes. I mean, it's almost kind of like he's expected to take the shot as opposed to being ready for the shot. Very few times does he actually step into it as he's set. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see him figure out how to use A.J. Griffin as well. I mean – I think you could literally put A.J. Griffin in the Nate James 2010 role, have him set up uh, on, in the corner on the short side, and just wait for kickouts. Because, I mean, that dude has a shot. I mean, he's mm -hmm. he's a sweet jumper. Um, 
I, I'd like to see him maybe utilize that a little bit more. But, you know, there's a lot of pieces, a lot of tools, um, but they, they definitely have to figure it out. But, you know, the overplay man-to-man with a six-man rotation, um, especially with the modern-day rules of freedom of movement and all that kind of stuff, it's not going to work. Um, I, I agree with with the idea that, you know, why can't we find something similar to maybe like the 2010, um, not, not, not just because of the result, but sag off the screens a little bit. You know, use your size, use your rebounding. You know, quit trying to overplay on the perimeter. And you got the tools. I mean, Wendell Moore has incredible length. Trevor Keels is a big body. Roach can get up underneath you and cause problems. But, you know, right now I think they're – forcing a square peg into a round hole and it's, it's just not working as, as well as they want it to. Yeah. And a quick turnaround at wake, which was already one, I think several of us on the schedule had kind of, kind of pinned down um, before, I guess we move on from that shoe. Did you have anything that you wanted to, to toss in? Well, at the end? I mean, just like he was saying, I mean, find some kind of middle ground. I mean, this is the same old story with Miami, right? Like wasn't angel Rodriguez that basically came out and said it after the 20, was it 2015? Like, yeah, we're just going to put them in high, you know, high post pick and roll and and just torch the, the guards, basically. And literally, that's what they do every year, you know. And that's, last night was kind of the continuation of it where that's, you know, I, a long list of guards from Miami that I've hated, Jack McClinton, McClinton or Shane Larkin or Angel Rodriguez. Thank God we weren't playing Chris Likes last night. But, I mean, Charlie Moore just kind of stepped right into that role and, would he have nine steals from us last night? Like, yeah, geez. It was looking like Bruce Bowen out there just picking it right from us. So it was. I mean, that's the thing, though, is like the, we, we had a chance to win. We should have won. Mm. And that's despite Miami having the most steals that they're probably going to have all year or for the next 20 years. I don't know, 15 steals is how often does that happen? Mm. Um, so that felt like a big an anomaly and outlier, but yet despite all that, we go up three and it takes a disastrous four-point play for us to lose. We snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Right. We can essentially. talk we can talk about whether Mark should have been in the game there. I think he should have. The whole decision to use the last timeout with a minute and a half left to take Mark out. After he just got the put back dunk to put us up one. Right. And he was playing well too. I mean, 12, seven, and six. Um to to take him out. So then he's not there on that defensive possession. Roach is left on an island. Now, granted, Charlie Moore makes a ridiculous shot that he'd probably miss the next 30 times he takes it, but there's even also so, 25 feet of run up to Fallon right. on the ground. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just not having Mark there to rotate over, maybe there's some resistance. And then also, of course, on that critical rebound, you know, Paolo's a good rebounder, uh, you know, by the percentages and all that. But if he's your tallest guy, you've certainly got a better chance of getting a rebound off a missed free throw if you're Miami. Well, you know, basketball is a game of runs, and we ended the second half just like we did the first half. We went up four in the first half. Uh, Moore comes down, gives that little hesitation, stop, start, goes by Roach, gets a layup, and then I don't know what we were doing on that inbounds pass, but you know, kind of the the theme for the night it was a terrible pass that led to a turnover. They score, we go into the half, 
Um, and then the same way how we end the second half, Paulo gets a block on Wong, scores on the other end, gets to poke around, leak out for the dunk. We're up three with 45 seconds left. I'm thinking, hey, cool. And then, you know, we crap our pants again. And this is the result. Yeah, and I'm for me, I'm really looking to hopefully when Dale can break out of this. I think that's really the key, the best chance for us at this point is just for him to be at an elite level. Um, you know, we saw that in the first half of the year, back to back kind of bad games for him. I don't know if it's him trying to be more aggressive. Some of those hook shots, some of those plays and shots in the lane are just not what he had been doing this year. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing for us is we got to get him back on track. He's got to be good. Well, He's what I saw from him is just kind of lackadaisical passes, mm -hmm. right? Like he's just one of them. I remember just getting into our horn set, just a, a simple little pass into Apollo and it, it gets knocked around. We knock it out of bounds. It's their ball or um, there was another, he had a, a leak ahead pass to, to Mark Williams. I mean, you're throwing a, 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 a go ahead pass to a seven footer and, and Charlie Moore intercepted it. I mean, the guys are like five, five, like, Throw it a little higher. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just some late, of those a lazy pass on the perimeter to the lazy. Air. Yeah, uh, the yeah. one early in the game with the trap. It's like call a timeout well, or do something. I don't know. Like, the trap is on somebody else. The, right. it, to me, you know, my coach. But I'm don't pass. Don't pass head, out. Go of, to the ball. Don't come pass to the out ball. of it though. Like if, well, if somebody's got to come. Yeah, to the ball I know. Too. I know, but. But yeah, and the, and the handle pass. too. The the dribble has been high. You know, it hasn't been. It's been shaky. Um. He but drilled anyway, it off I, of his back of his leg once too. Yeah. I mean, he had yeah, eight, what, six turnovers. I mean, that's uncharacteristic of Dale right now. Just didn't look right. Um, yeah. So I guess as we talk about the implications going forward, and we had kind of hit on this, you know, a couple of pods ago when we did our ACC preview. I guess I'll send it to John first. Is the one seed pretty much out of reach at this point? Oh no, not at all. I mean, Purdue lost this week. Um, you know, Kansas lost last night, Duke lost last night. So you're probably going to have Baylor one, Gonzaga two. They were always going to be one seeds no matter what. Then you've got, um, I forget who's number five off the top of my head, but, you know, Duke's going to be four or five this week. Um, they can't afford too many more of these. Um, they're going to lose again in the ACC. Go ahead and, you know, go ahead and book it. Um, but, if, you know, if they finish – and we also don't know, are they going to make up the Clemson or Notre Dame right now? It's just, it just seems to be somewhat up in the air. So, I mean, you know, the, the problem is if you're taking off wins both ways, both from postponements and, um, you know, from just having bad games, um, the, the margin of error is getting thin, but it's getting thin everywhere. And, um, you know, if Duke can finish three, four losses in the regular season, which is um, still doable – um, I think they still get a one. Um, it may come down to what they do in the ACC tournament as well, depending on how many games are postponed going forward. But, um, you know, I don't think this Miami loss will right now hurt them. Um, you kind of have to cheer for Miami going forward a little bit. Um, you know, hope that they don't fall apart. Uh, but so far, uh, they they seem to be okay. But, um, no, I don't think the one seed's gone at all. But, you know, it, too many more of these, and yeah, it's absolutely gone because there's just not another good ACC team right now. Yeah, and it puts a, a little bit of pressure, especially I would obviously you want to win, but heading into going into Winston Salem, where historically that hasn't been a super great place for us to play. Um, you know, Wake's actually pretty decent this year, so you know, like like you said, hopefully Miami's still there. I guess then 
for the ACC. So we all kind of thought Duke's going to win the ACC. Are we still, does everybody still think Duke's going to win the ACC? Well, right now Miami is what a five and oh, so they're in the driver's seat, especially with the way they've been playing. I think if anything, they look really underrated. Um, you know, they started out the season rough, but Laranagas teams often do that where they'll have a couple like mystifying losses early to like central Florida or something. Right. And you'll think, Oh, this is a bad Miami team. And then by ACC play, his coaching really just starts to shine through. Um, you know, they've been, they only scored 76 against us, but the last three games or four games before that, it was like 90, 92, 88, 82. You're going to win a lot of games that way, even if your defense is suspect. And if they can defend like they did last night, I don't know. They got a good shot. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know, we should still be favored. We're favored to win every game from here on out. So, you know, there's no reason to, if you were better to not bet on us, but other teams might be in a slightly better position. Yeah. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see us come out of this and rattle off 10 straight. Um, we were mentioning before we started recording that the one thing that kind of does suck is that there's with the ACC being down, it's not like 2015 where you drop those two at home and then you have that big game at Louisville against a ranked team where you could come out and kind of say, okay, we're back. Like we're good. You know, like let's get this going. Um, that's not really there this year in the ACC. You know, I, I do still think that we, we'll, we're going to end up winning the conference. Um, but I think we got a little bit of work to do now, especially with some games coming up on the road and, you know, what we've seen this week, we've got to figure out a way to get past that. Shu, you still, you still rolling with Duke to win the ACC? Well, you know, <laughs> Mr. 20, for what it's worth, for what it's worth <laughs> my 20 and 0 is now uh, kaput. So I don't know if I should be given any of these, but um, look, it, I think it's still definitely doable. Um, I think what we've alluded to is what, what the schedule plays out like are we going to lose any more games does other teams lose any more games because of COVID or whatnot so um I think we definitely can you know I I, I figured we would have lost the game I don't know if I would have thought we would have lost um at home so far um you know one of the stats I think I saw was that uh that we've lost 10 home games to unranked teams since 2015 um and that had only happened six times total from 97 to 2014 um and even if you take away the the kind of the terrible year we had last year it, it uh it still happened seven times since 2015 so i think the last time we've had an undefeated season at home was 2014 um i i just think we you know going forward hopefully we we protect cameron a little bit better um and then you know just try to do what we can on the road um this weight game wednesday like we've alluded to already going to be a tough one um so we'll see how it goes yeah and we've talked a little bit already about you know shaking up the minutes um i, I will say again to reiterate some of the positive is you know john touched on aj and and mark really the two guys this week that i think stand out in terms of having kind of a pretty good week you know i think aj had what 24 or 27 minutes or so last night so that continues to ramp up um and it doesn't at first AJ's kind of transcendence was like 
at the same time as Mark, you saw him kind of falling out of the rotation. And now it seems like both are able to play well in the same game, which is good. Um, I think, again, it kind of comes back to the backcourt. And, you know, I don't know if there's too much we can do with that, except for hope that Roach and Kiel's play a little bit better, particularly kills in some of these bigger games. Um, you know, I guess I'll just kind of toss it around for some discussion before we move to Wake. But, you know, what do you see in terms of the, the minute breakdown or lineup changes? Is there anything you expect to see differently at Wake? Are we going to have the starting five be shaken up a little bit? Or, you know, is it business as usual? Well, for me, the question is, as AJ plays more, whose minutes is that cutting into? Um, it seemed like it was going to be Mark. And I was a little worried about that because of Mark's overall positive impact on our defense and just our rim finishing and things like that. And now I'm not 100% sure it's going to be Mark anymore. Uh, Roach played the fewest minutes we've seen him play pretty much all year last night. And we saw a lot more of a lineup I was talking about wanting to see a few podcasts back, which was um, AJ with Mark without Paolo as a 4-5. And that lineup was actually really effective. Um, I believe came in when we were down like 16 to 13 and we went up 21 to 16. So that's like an 8-0 run right there. Um, no, that's not the... Yeah, that's the right math. Okay. Um, and and then I think uh, Shu was saying that in the second half, it came in again and we outscored them by like three points. So assuming we're not forgetting anything, that lineup was like plus 11 in limited minutes. So that's something I'd be interested in. Really... I would just like to see AJ's minutes. I don't want to say coming at the expense because that sounds mean, but like I would like to see AJ's minutes take over some of Roach's minutes or Keel's minutes because those are the two guys who are really struggling to my mind. Now, I know there's benefits to moving Paolo to the five because it opens up his offense, but with Mark having two really solid games and seeming to be back on track, I'd like to still keep him out there for at least 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. And I'm curious is, and um, to get John's take on this, John, if AJ didn't get re-injured in the preseason, did you think that he would have been a starter? Like that he would have started the year in the starting lineup? It's hard to say. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought he was going to start from day one, uh, had he not gotten injured. Um, you know, he was, he was looking good in the NBA thing, but again, it, it's, it was all conjecture. I mean, you know, you look at a guy who hadn't played in two years. Um, it's really hard to, to know what you're going to get from him. And Keels came in as did Paolo, um, you know, as did the entire group, you just motivated. And, you know, those guys came in to, to compete and fight and, you know, one of the first words I got when they got to school in the summer was, you know, the freshmen are the kind of freshmen you win with. Um, you know, they came in and they were basically, they didn't need to be coddled. They didn't need to be shown. This is how we do things. They, they came in to compete and it was kind of like get on our level or get out of the way. And, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a lot going on with the, with the team right now. Um, you know, just because they're back 
from a COVID pause does not mean that their health is perfect. It means that they're testing negative for the virus. Uh, Duke won't ever release it, but I suspect that even though Krzyzewski said several were asymptomatic, uh, the context there is they were asymptomatic when they tested positive. That doesn't mean that they stayed asymptomatic. That doesn't mean that they've, you know, gotten back full health. I mean, you know, as someone who got hit with Omicron um, the day after Christmas, it does take a little bit um, you know, to hit you. You know, like I said, these guys were locked in hotel rooms for over a week, um, thrown on the court against Georgia Tech, had a couple of days back. Um, they had to not only get into shape, but get up at speed. And, you know, Shesky using the word tired is probably not the greatest. Um, he, he probably should elaborate a little bit more. But, um, you know, there's they'll get back to it. But, you know, as far as uh, your question, yeah, I thought A.J. would start had he not gotten hurt. I think he's going to – I wrote this on the boards in, in, in a pregame or postgame or uh, analysis thing. I think he's going to end up starting by the first week of February, maybe the middle of February, same way Justice did in 2015. Um, the question is, who, like you said, whose minutes does he take? And as much as I hate to say it, I think it's going to end up – you're going to see Mark Williams play in the Emil Jefferson role coming off and being that – you know, defensive six man, because um, I, I just I think the team gets a net benefit uh, with a couple caveats. If Paolo's offense can all of a sudden come in and we actually have somebody who's going to be inside scoring buckets and you know they actually run a play to get the ball inside uh, rather than just you know throwing hopeful entry passes, uh, that's one thing. But for that to happen, Moore's got to get better on the glass, even though he was very good last night. Keels has got to get better at crashing the glass. Roach has got to get better at crashing the glass. Um, you know, because you know, obviously Ben Chair is not the same post defender that Williams is. But, you know, there's going to be plenty of minutes to go around because, let's be honest, it's going to be six and a half players for from here on out. So, Yeah, and the reason I ask about AJ is because I was kind of having some or see, in two diff, completely different situations, but a little bit of parallels to 2017. Um, so if we go back and look at 2017, you have obviously you have Giles, but you have Tatum get injured like right at the beginning of the season. And it takes him a really kind of a while to get back acclimated and for everyone else to play well. At the same time, you had Luke Kennard that really stepped up. And then it seemed like we never really found the gel after that of how do we get both of these guys going at the same time. And it seems a little bit like that with with AJ for me, because I also was thinking that he would be a starter. And now it's like, well, the team had already kind of figured out roles. Their guys have kind of been ingrained in their in their positions. Now we're trying to bring him back. He's playing well, but it's not really working out collectively like it was. You know, obviously, Kentucky was a highlight, um, Gonzaga. But curious anyone else kind of have any kind of parallels to 2017 i know that's a different situation but just in terms of the roster dynamic and a lot of freshmen coming in when i think of that 2017 team i think of the like the spider-man meme of everybody pointing at everybody like we had Allen, you had canard you had tatum and they couldn't figure out who's taking the last shot i think with aj coming he's not the first option right even coming on strong um it's still going to be Paulo, but I would like to see us get a solid three, you know, three-headed monster going. Right now, you know, Paulo. Some nights it's Mark. Some nights it's AJ. Some nights it might be Kills. But I, I just like to get a more consistent three scoring options. Yeah, but is it Paulo? I mean, look at Miami. 
the last possession, they come down. Wendell hands the ball off to Paulo. He takes one dribble and just flips it to Keels. I mean, you need two points and you don't, you've got a matchup nightmare. They don't even look for him. I, I just, that was, maybe it was just a one off, but that's true. I, but I, he, was, he was still the leading scorer in that game, right? Uh, and probably oh, no, I agree. The leading shot taker. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, no, I, I'm with you. I just, I don't think there's an established hierarchy. One lineup I'd like to see them do is move Keels to point guard, have Wendell at the two, AJ at the three, and then play the two bigs together. Um, I mean, it's a huge lineup. You know, quit with the overplay, sag off a bit, and and see what that does because Wendell can guard one through four. I'm pretty sure Keels can guard one through three without much because they've been our two best perimeter defenders, right? Mm. So... I think AJ has the ability to guard two through four with no problem switching. Uh, Paolo can guard three through five. And then, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to that. Uh, and then bring, I'd say bring Roach and even Blake's off the, off and be kind of like a, you know, a super version of bringing Goldwire off the, off the bench, which oddly enough, who, who would have thought this team would have missed Jordan Goldwire this much. Yeah, Goldwire that guns it from three. Yeah, hey, yeah, Blake's, though, is not, Blake's as yeah, soon as he touches Blake's it, is it's fine. not scared to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's they not, played. But, yeah, they played that lineup last night, John. The lineup you talked about that was from from about the ten minute mark in the second half to maybe around six or five. They played that, and that was a it was a good lineup for us. Yeah, I I wonder too. Um, you know, if, if doing that wouldn't take some pressure off a of Roach, um, take some pressure off of some of the other guys, then you could rotate Theo John in a bit more. Um, it, it's just, it, it, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of pieces, a lot of context here, but um, you know, I, I don't, uh, one thing I would take away from this whole thing is that I, I don't think wholesale changes are needed. Um, continuity is needed. And I mean, these kids need to, they need to get back into the schedule. They need to be practicing. They need to, they're going to play themselves into shape. That's just going to happen. Um so, you know, like I said, it's it's interesting, but I, I don't think they have a point guard, and I think they kind of need to just own that and, you know, play point guard by committee and see what happens. Yeah, and I guess before we kind of preview Wake, I, I do want to touch on one thing. I kind of hit on it, but we didn't talk about it. I feel like we got to at least touch on the whole Coach K DeVoe debacle there. Um, from where I was sitting, like – you couldn't really see much, but then K just gets with it. I mean, he's almost kind of, I don't know if he's chasing him down or going for the ref or whoever. Um, John, what, what were you kind of hearing or what would, what did you think about that whole kind of altercation? If we can call it that. Uh, you know, I'm sure I, I think it's just two competitive guys. Uh, you know, I, I think DeVoe said something. There's a lot of chirping back and forth uh, between the bench. And I think DeVoe went, Past saying something to the bench to saying something directly to Shashevsky. And, you know, even at 74, 75 years old, Shashevsky's not going to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's going to kind of bow up. And, you know, I, I think it was more of a this is a competitor um, going against a competitor. And he won't say it. And he'll, you know, he'll always take the statesman role. But I mean, I think that kind of stuff still kind of is good for Shashevsky. I, I think it, you know, it, he was the guy, especially against Georgia Tech. I mean, he was telling the crowd to get into it, telling the team mm-hmm. to get into it. Um, you know, he's still got that competitive fire, which, you know, despite what the message boards may say whenever Duke loses, um, 
you know, he's still the right guy to lead. But as far as what happened, yeah, I, I think he, I think DeVoe just was chirping with the bench here and there and then turned and said something directly to Shashevsky, who would look the other way when he was, you know, players talking. But if you're going to go after him, um, you know, you, you pick the wrong one. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, DeVoe wanted to say something to him considering Josh Pastner won't shut up throughout the entire game. So. You know, yeah, well, it's one thing there. to talk smack when you're winning, but to talk some, you know, when you're, hey, you guys are losing right now. Like, what do you, like, yeah, they were going on a run and we called a timeout to, to, you know, quell that run. But like, come on, dude. Yeah. I think, I think Shashevsky, you know, gave him a double chest pat in the post game and, you know, told him to have a good face or something. So <laughs> I'm sure it's okay. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. Well, I just wanted to kind of touch on that from, Seeing it live, it was kind of weird. I don't think many people understood what was going on until it was like kind of halfway through it. But um, yeah, Passner was getting it pretty rough from the crazies too. And that face shield, man, it's hard to take that serious when he's just out there like that. But um, I guess before we get out of here, I'll kind of toss it over to you, Raul, for uh, to talk a little bit about Wake Forest and uh, what we got coming up Wednesday. Yeah, well, I'm not going to spend too long on it because we already talked about how important a game it is and how it's been kind of traditionally hard for us to win at Wake. I'll just say that Wake is a much improved team this year. Um, their co- coach Forbes is a huge step up over Manning. Um, I think it goes without saying. I mean, anyone's a huge step up over him. But uh, yeah, they're 53rd in uh, Ken Palm. Um, they're an old team. Uh, they're, I think their average experience is like almost three years. So there's a lot of juniors. Uh, sophomores, seniors, and all that. Uh, and they're no six year red shirts. They do have one guy who's uh, well, they had four last night, right? Like, right, yeah. I believe they're uh, their best player is 22, so he's probably a senior, but uh, mm-hmm. they're a big team, um, like big the way Duke is. So they they start a seven footer, um, they have several six eight guys a 6'10 guy who comes off the bench. So that could be an interesting and perhaps positive matchup for us. Um, We saw that against Gonzaga, we actually benefited from being able to uh, play big with kind of no imposition to our regular lineup. So in theory, this could be a good game for Mark Williams because their big man, Williamson, isn't a good three-point shooter. So hopefully Mark could camp in the paint a little bit. I'd also look for AJ to play a lot because they have all those six, eight guys. And I think AJ could uh, match up pretty well with them. Uh, But yeah, they're definitely a team that could beat us if we play like we did against Miami. Um, You know, we're only favored by five at wake. We tend to get in foul trouble. Fingers crossed. This team has been good at avoiding fouls. So hopefully we can, uh, stay away from that this year, but Wake is fourth in the country in two point percentage, and I think that has to do with their size. So expect them to attack the rim a lot. Uh, you know, I haven't watched enough to know whether that's like post ups, drives, or what, but I could see us getting in foul trouble simply because they're taking all their shots in the paint. So if Mark can really impact their two-point percentage, you know, even if he takes it down from their normal 58% to like 50%, 
that could be the deciding factor there. Uh, so I guess it just remains to be seen whether we kind of figure out the offense and you know have a bounce back game. I have a feeling we will, but it's really hard to figure out this team right now. So, yeah, on the road, I wish it kind of would have been at home. Um, but you know, we played a lot of games at home. I guess it's time to finally get on the road. And like you said, historically, not very. You know, it, we've had some tough ones um, down there, and I think Ken Palm had them as like the thirteenth tallest team in the country. So you hit on that as well. Um, Shu, John, any additional thoughts about Wake or kind of, I guess we could get into a little bit of predictions for that if we want to. Well, I mean, just going back through a couple records, you know, we we won pretty big there last year. Surprisingly, I didn't even remember that. Uh, Wendell had 11, Mark had 9 and 7, Joey had 12. Um, we lost there a double overtime uh, Wendell's freshman year, but he had a 25-point game. So I think, you know, hopefully Wendell feels comfortable playing in there um, and can get us back to pre-COVID Wendell. Um, one of the things that I joked about, about uh, our starting five probably fouling out before we got there, that that game actually happened in 2008. Our entire starting five uh, fouled out. And um, interesting, Coach uh, Nolan and Coach Shire combined for 21 points off the bench that game um, with – Nolan having all 24 or 21. So a little shot at Cook Shire there. I know you'd probably like that. Yeah. What about you, John? You thinking, uh, you think Duke writes the ship or more of the same? I think they win. Um, you know, it's, I'm actually excited to see them get on the road and, you know, have to deal with some adversity. Um, yeah. I remember that 2008 game. I think they had, Wake had like two Lithuanian kids who just were oh. mauling, mauling everybody inside and, then, you know, all of a sudden it's like Duke goes up to challenge a ball and foul, foul, foul. I mean, I think they were, there was like a 6'10 walk on who had to get in and play. Um, but as far as this season goes, you know, I, I, I think Duke will, you know, Shashevsky will channel some adversity from last night. I think they'll, they'll come to play. Um, I don't think Wake's really played anybody this year. Um, anybody of note, I may be wrong. Uh, I haven't done my research on them fully yet but I didn't see any wins or losses that kind of stood out as you know power matchups but you know I'd like to see um definitely like to see Wendell get back in but yeah overall I, th I think Ducal they're going to start playing themselves into shape and you know a five-point spread against Wake Forest on the road uh, is, is not I don't think that's outrageous at all um, I'd say Duke probably covers that you know seven to seven to ten points yeah, I think the only team that they've played that would remotely be considered kind of good is they played LSU back in November. I think they lost by like 14 or 15. Um, outside of that, haven't really played anyone. Uh, they did beat Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech's kind of weird. Uh, I think they might be a team that Gary Parrish would refer to as the computer trickers. You know, they're still top 30, but they just keep losing for some reason. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I'd like to say we win. I could see us dropping two in a row, honestly. Um, hopefully, we can find something to channel and come out. You know, the front court has been pretty good consistently for us, so I, I expect that to be there. I think it just comes down to, to guard play or, you know, if Wendell becomes November, December Wendell, then that'll be a different story. But uh, anything else for anyone before we, before we hop out of here? No. 
Just like Duke last night. No answer, huh? All right. right. Pretty somber day around the uh, shoe household. uh, (laughs) Moped around in all black today. It's just four people standing around on the perimeter looking at what's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully uh, we'll we'll write the ship. I will say to just a final point of kind of what John and Roe were talking about earlier is I like that Paulo gets his points through the flow of the offense, but I still would like to see him – like in those like big moments, kind of just be the guy that demands the ball and like that his teammates know it, you know, that like, yeah, dude, get this guy the ball, clear out, let him make a play. Um, Especially you know, since but, he's, a, he's attacking the rim more now um, over the last like four or five games, it seems like there's been a concerted effort for him to take fewer of those kind of mid range ISO pull-ups. So He's a good finisher at the rim, so if we're going to kind of be running stuff to get him to the rim more often, then that's a really good shot for us at any point in the game. I will say, he he tried to snatch someone's soul last night. I don't know if you guys remember that. That blown dunk, yeah. Yeah, holy, yeah. I w- wish that one would have connected, but, you know, yeah. I'd like to see more of that aggressiveness go at it, you know? That's who he was in high school. I mean, yeah, that's who he was, and that's who he <laughs> is. Um, it's just figuring out a way to channel it within the the team concept because he is a very unselfish and he's a very smart basketball player. And you know, it, something's gonna. I, I I wouldn't be surprised for one day for Shashesky just to sit him down and go, "This is yours. Take it." Um, you know, when that happens, I don't know. But yeah, man, in high school, and he was the competitor. I mean, like he and Chet Holmgren used to go at it. So, you know, like I said, it'll, it'll come, it'll come. Yeah. Got to remember it's a, uh, it's a long road and Duke always has these hiccups in January. It seems like, um, yeah, normally later January, but you know, yeah, maybe this COVID pause kind of exacerbated that a little bit. Well, COVID pause and, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. They've, they, they've had two, well, three tough games and then they played, you know, a service academy, a directional school, a couple intramural teams. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the out-of-conference yeah. schedule did not set this team up, in my opinion. But that's another topic yeah. for another day. Yeah. Well, you know, we got three days to get some stronger faces and eat some more verve, and hopefully we'll come back on Wednesday and, and get a win. Um, want to thank John Watson for coming on again. Uh, again, check us out at thedevilsden.com. We're all on the boards there, pretty active. Um, you know, rate, review, subscribe if you like what you're hearing. We'll tease a little bit. We got a we got a special guest coming on next week. Really looking forward to that. And then we'll be back next weekend to talk about Wake and uh, and NC State. All right, take care.